welcome to the Forsters More Than Law podcast. I'm Miri Stickland, knowledge development lawyer in the commercial real estate team, and I'm joined today by two of my favourite residential lawyers, returning podcastee Helen Marsh. Hello, Helen. Hello again, Mary. Um, and George Haddon is also joining us from residential team. Hello, Hi. George. Hi, Mary. Just before she jets off this afternoon. Yeah, to Hong Kong. Very nice. <laughs> warmer, warmer than here. <laughs> warmer climbs. Um, so today we're just going to start off with an overview of what the prime residential property market in London looks like at present, um, appreciating that that's quite a broad question. So shall we start off in terms of level of activity, speed of transaction, competition for properties? Who wants to kick us off? Right, well, I'll jump in first, but um, George will no doubt want to go as well. Get the easy we've points got, out. Yeah, <laughs> we have, um, we've got a lot to say about this market, which is, in one word, is quite weird. Mm, um, it's definitely not a great market. Um, I think every, all the agents and all the people involved in the market would say that the last year or two have been tough, and probably the toughest in a very long time. Um, the level of transactions, well, transactions, there are fewer of them, um, especially at the very high level. But there's also huge competition because the properties that are on the market, there, well, there, there isn't much stock, basically. So people are then fighting over what's on. If it's, if it's good, then everyone wants it because there are people out there who are looking to buy. And just an example, I was with um, a buying agent that I know well yesterday, and she said they've got loads of clients looking for property, but there's not there's not stock to buy. Mm. So that leads to all, some quite unexpected things. But yeah, it is weird, and it's it's hard to tell what's going to happen. George, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I sometimes feel that particularly with the domestic market and people selling, um, that because everyone has now established that it is a bit of a weird market, people are sort of feeling particularly with second-hand properties like they'd prefer to hold on to them for maybe a bit longer which is perhaps why we're finding less of the really good properties on the market as we might see in a particularly fruitful market and um, because people want to wait until they think they'll get the maximum return on investment yeah we still see I think it's fair to say it's not quiet we've got quite a lot going on but it's just transactions are becoming some of them are becoming particularly protracted and mm. long and people want a lot more. They want a lot more and they won't take a view on things in mm. the way that they would have done at, uh, at the height of the market. Yeah, which I think is reflective probably of the fact that there is just less on there and people are keen to sell. So, mm. you know, a buyer is in a stronger position than perhaps a few years ago. Mm. Um, having but said having that, said, I was just going to say, having said that, and what I mean about it being weird and, and surprising, you, I often find that actually for buyers, they're not in a strong position because there's so much competition for those properties that you you know there's other people willing to um, jump in and take it off you. And so, yeah, it's it's just mm. really weird. I think that the market is sort of leaning that way. Well, everyone, I'd say most people listening to this will know the answer to this already. I'm not claiming to be the only expert, but it's it's generally agreed that there are a number of causes for the stagnation in the market one of them um, is of course Brexit um, another is the increase in stamp duty rates that came in in the end of 2014 stamp duty became a lot higher and then they added on um, the additional 3% for second properties which made it even higher yeah um, and and it's also it's just it's it's a lot of money so that's had, had an effect on people's willingness to transact 
And then I think also that the property market is cyclical. So the, it, it's expected that if there's been a period of, of great growth and a peak, then there will be a trough then after that and there'll be a quiet period. Although the quiet period's kind of probably gone on long enough now. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and then uh, um, finally, I think there is, a, there is a political element. So you're finding that the market's changed since the general election's actually been called? Yes, it's gone yeah. quieter again. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Lots of transactions that were in the pipeline suddenly got cancelled or put on hold. I think with Brexit, people are almost bored of it now. Mm. If you, especially if you're a domestic buyer or seller, you either wanted to move or you didn't, but you're probably not going to wait for three years whilst mm. everything rolls on. Mm. Um, people had started, I think, to just make the move and take the hit if they are selling at a loss. Um, but in terms of overseas buyers, are you presumably they have sort of slightly different drivers? Yeah, I think um, actually. The overseas buyers we almost find tend to largely act in an opposite direction just purely because, you know, if we're struggling politically slightly, um, for example, Brexit, a lot of the sort of long-standing investors in the UK perhaps decided that they did not want to take the plunge anymore, perhaps because they felt they'd already made um, a bit of a loss or, or might make a loss. Um, but actually that saw a new pool of investors coming forward because the currency conversion rates were so good for them. Um, they knew that they had quite a strong um, standing in that people were a bit worried and they might get particularly good discounts, um, particularly from people like developers who will go in and sell for an entire weekend in places like Hong Kong and Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you speak to a lot of the um international agents you'd find that places like Hong Kong and Singapore have been consistent um, and always liked London for quite some time Uh, but actually there are always going to be other market factors that see slight dips and rises in in the investment. Um, The local situation for example in Hong Kong at the moment has we feel meant that we've seen a few more Hong Kongese buyers come through just purely because although they didn't love the idea of Brexit any more than most of us probably did, the local situation is so much less secure. They they still feel that, you know, a lot of the time they'd rather invest in the UK perhaps. Um, as well as that you've got things like education are a massive pull, um, particularly for places like China um, and Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, London has some of the best universities in the world. Um, and some really good boarding schools so a lot mm. of uh, parents like to have a base in in London so that they can come and visit yeah yeah and apparently I learned recently that the weather is a big draw really? I know because <laughs> <laughs> for me I really do struggle with the weather here mm. and I'm constantly planning where I'm going to emigrate to but the, apparently genuinely one of the attributes <laughs> of London is the mildness of the climate for the people who live, I guess, where it is very, very hot and very, very cold, they like coming here because they kind of know what they're going to get, which I would say is drizzle. <laughs> we <didn't laughs> not today, not yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we don't have things like typhoons, which yeah, yeah, yeah. some like Hong yeah. Kong would see, so yeah. in that sense, maybe more stable, yeah. but I agree, it's not yeah. somewhere I would look to buy for. But yeah, no, London is a perennially popular. Mm. And where are you seeing the emerging markets from overseas coming from? So I think international agents are looking to slightly different places um, depending on, I I guess, how strong their local teams are. Um, But we've been invited out to countries where they are clearly very confident there is some untapped wealth. So places like Taiwan, like the Philippines, 
like South Africa. Um, Japan is kind of, I think, on everyone's radar, actually, residential and commercial, because there is a huge amount of wealth there. But it's just, I think, trying to build up enough of a profile for people out there to actually feel like they, they feel comfortable to send their money overseas and invest it in the UK. Yeah. Um, whereas perhaps countries like Hong Kong, Singapore and China are now very much up and running. Um, the emerging markets are probably will take a little bit longer but yes they're definitely everyone's kind of looking to explore and discover the latest um, new markets we're seeing and rise in other countries as well as the kind of core three. So talking about money coming in from overseas one major area we do need to deal with both resi and commercial sides in any transaction are anti-money laundering regulations and compliance procedures and I know that there was a report recently in the Estates Gazette which suggested that more than 5 billion of dirty money had been used to buy 421 luxury homes in the UK. Um, So procedures are obviously there with very good reason but can you sort of explain in practice what kind of challenges that brings to a transaction it's a huge challenge we, we can list i mean the only upside i will say or the, the thing that's got better is that everyone now accepts that this has to happen whereas a few years ago clients new clients would amazed and appalled by what we were asking for but i think now that everyone's kind of got used to it so that's one good thing yeah definitely in terms of the domestic market and probably Europe as well because I think the systems are probably fairly similar and I think as soon as you explain to someone that it's pretty similar now to setting up a bank account or something thereabouts where you know we're going to be essentially accepting a large amount of money from them so our duty is to make sure that we've established where that comes from it's definitely much easier now um like Helen said, with the majority of UK buyers and I think probably most European buyers, uh, we definitely still see a lot of pushback overseas. It depends, I think, sometimes on the client in particular and sometimes on location. Um, Hong Kong and Singapore are very aligned with the UK in terms of their own processes. So although I think ours is still very arbitrary in comparison, they do understand why we ask um, and they generally are fairly good at trying to work with us and our requirements but you know understandably someone in China who has maybe met one of our team once or maybe not at all and then gets asked for all of these endless documents and proof of funds doesn't take it particularly favourable so I think it's Mm -hmm. fair to say that although we completely understand why the rules are there and, and clearly if you know five billion has come through it's obviously a massive issue but I'd say in terms of the residential property market it's hugely obstructive yeah but and also you're not just having to sort of dig into what the client into the client's details but also you have to look to all the potential sources of funds don't you so you're quite often ending up sort of doing those checks on a lot of third parties Mm, as well and especially again purely because in China there's a limit to how much you can transfer outside of the country within a year. I think at the moment it's 50,000 US dollars. So then we find that often, you know, people will pull together and you can have anything up to, I think one of my colleagues had 10 buyers who were all kind of, you know, contributing and then you have to go through and check all 10 of them. Yeah. um, To make sure that obviously none of the money is coming from an illicit source. So that's incredibly complicated. Um, and just very time consuming mm-hmm. but I think the, the other 
slightly more positive thing is that the MLR 2017 obviously applied to, um, higher regulations on agents. So whereas before I think we probably found that whilst the big agencies would always understand the AML process, there was definitely a lot of pushback because we have such a good compliance team and we are so thorough, some agents would find that you know, obstructive, like I say, and yeah. their deal's not going through, so then they turn to us and ask us why mm. we need all this information, whereas now, obviously, not quite to the same extent, but they do need to do their own checks. So, mm-hmm. it's, so it's brought it sort of more in line. Yeah, yeah, and means that we're all working together to kind of exchange achieve the same end yeah. goal, yeah. I think, in yeah. identifying buyers. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the other challenges that are affecting the market? Helen, would you like to talk about the government's proposed leasehold reforms? Oh, yes, this is very interesting, actually. Um, there's a lot of talk of change and improvement um, of our current laws. Um, one of them is uh, ground rent, mm-hmm. so um, lots of leases, especially on newly built property, um, have an annual um, ground rent that is more than minimal. Um, and some of those rents have become quite high and some of them have become unaffordable because they've had doubling provisions, which seem innocuous until you actually think about what happens if you if something doubles and doubles, the, the numbers spiral out of control. Mm. And so there have been cases where the leases um, became absolutely unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other rents that don't have doubling provisions, but they are just they start off quite high and they continue quite high. And I think the government is decided that they want to crack down on that and um, protect the um, buyers of those leases who perhaps didn't understand what they were getting into. Yeah, uh, I mean that's tricky in a number of ways because we do still have the concept of freedom of contract, and if somebody agreed to enter into that lease. They should have had legal advice, and they should have known. They should have known what they were doing. And um, are we going to do price control? That's one of the issues. And also, developers do um, the ground rents do form part of their appraisal. Yeah, it's and it's whether the thing is affordable or not. So it will have an effect on the you know these the, the, these new homes which need to be built. Uh, another thing um, that we risk causing a problem. Um, unintentionally by getting rid of ground rent is that freeholders so the the landlords have to have um, some sort of incentive for sticking around and staying being an active landlord because landlords have to do stuff they have to they have to um, be responsible for making sure that the building is maintained and repaired and they have to be around to issue consents for things that you know like if you want to carry out works to your flat or anything that you need the landlord to be involved in yeah and if the if the landlord isn't getting any income then it's difficult to know why people would stick around and take on all those quite onerous responsibilities. Mm. If you get your service charge wrong and you overcharge people, you don't serve the correct notices, then landlord's responsible for having to pay for the whole thing themselves and can't claim back. And there's there's quite a lot of risk and hassle in being a landlord. And why would anyone do it mm. if there's not a commercial benefit? So that's, you know, one of the, the good things about ground rent. Yeah. Um, I could go on for hours about all of this. There's so much proposed, and it is all quite interesting. Um, the leasehold extensions, um, the government says that they want to make them cheaper and simpler. It's fixed, isn't they? Yeah, and they also want to um, just potentially um, transform the whole system of leasehold ownership and try and encourage people to um, adopt common hold, which was um, invented about 20 years ago. And How many common hold schemes are there in the country? 
Very few. Fewer than the number of textbooks that have been written on the day. <laughs> <laughs> fewer than the number of un- unsold textbooks on the <laughs> But yeah, it, it didn't take off, and banks quickly all just got together and said that they wouldn't lend on it for a number of valid reasons. So the government said, right, we're going we're gonna to reform it. We're going to look at why Common Hold didn't work and make it work because it, it is a better system. So Common Hold, just very briefly put, is is a move away from leasehold where you don't have your landlord-tenant relationship. You have everyone in the building jointly owns the building, um, which is what they have um, in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's a more modern system. It's fairer. If you, if you can get it to work, it could be great. But there's huge, huge changes coming. And I think that affects the market as well because there's a lot of uncertainty. I was just going to ask you that. So in respect to the lease ex- extensions becoming cheaper, is that meaning people are holding off? Yeah, actually? of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely the case. I mean, our colleagues who work uh, do a lot of enfranchisement work, they say there's definitely far fewer claims than there used to be. Because, yeah, um, if you don't have to extend now, why why wouldn't you hang on a bit and see if you can get it for half the price in a few years' time? So we've talked in a previous podcast about the Grenfell tragedy leading to regulatory changes in the use of cladding on high-rise buildings. Mm. Um, I'd be interested to sort of get your thoughts, Helen, on what has been the overall impact on residential transactions. Well, um, in a good way, people are much more conscious of safety and, and fire safety in particular. People are much more focused on how, how crucial it is and um, people are more interested in what do the building regs say and is this building safe. Um, and w- one of the things that's difficult though is, is this, there's a lot of unknowns about what is safe and does it comply, um, who can sign off on it and are the rules going to change again? And I think more and more... Um, people are, are hesitant to commit their money, um, whether they're a purchaser or a, a lender, to a building where they're not sure what the implications are in terms of safety standards changing. Is a rule going to come in saying that all unsafe cladding is going to have to be replaced? In which case, who's going to pay for that? Because there is real uncertainty about whether that will be the landlord, whether it will be the tenants, whether it will be the original developer, whether there will be government subsidies. Mm. It's, it, and for some, it's huge sums of money. Um, and we're seeing a lot. Um, I know um, George comes up across against this more than I do. So what we've started seeing more than anything is just valuation coming back and where they haven't been able to obtain the much more detailed information that they now require about cladding rather than just simply a building regulation certificate saying it's safe and a fire risk assessment, um, that they're actually marking the property value as zero, which seems insane given that you'd think even the insurance value must be of some worth. But we've had quite a few valuations that have started to come back and I think its value is almost panicking because they don't want to be responsible, as Helen says, for giving that sign-off to say it's not a problem. Um, but again, it's a, it's a real issue because... You know, for people who perhaps were buying off plan and exchanged before the Grenfell mm. tragedy, yeah, um, when this wasn't foreseen, and now can't get their mortgage financing, or for people, you know, who myself included, who live in a second-hand residential block, um, mine's not particularly high, so hopefully it wouldn't wouldn't be so much of an issue for me. But I know from having speak, spoken to other colleagues in the firm who've tried to remortgage, and they've just given me a call to say, is this actually a thing now? And I've had to say. Yes, it seems highly unreasonable, but we have started seeing these zero, zero valuations, valuations coming back. Um, so I'm not really sure what the answer is, except for obviously, you know, 
far more clarity like Helen says one of the really good things is that I think developers in particular are far more conscious of this now and yeah. they know that they're going to have to provide that information and you know be really conscious of it going in um, but in terms of the properties that are already built it's definitely I went to, a, I, went to mm-hmm. I went to a really interesting talk given by a barrister who's been advising on the inquiry and he says that the only way out of this is for the government to pay for the buildings to be repaired and then in some way um, get the money back from developers as, uh, by way of as a levy or something. But the only way to get it done is the government because they're the only ones who've got enough money to for the outlet initially to make mm-hmm. these buildings safe. Mm-hmm. And he also he said that they've had this problem <clears throat> in Australia already and they're a few years ahead of us of fixing it and, and um, getting themselves out of it. And he said that was done by government subsidy. So watch this space. Yeah, definitely. So there was an autumn budget um, proposed, but due to the general election being called, that's been cancelled. I suppose the, the positive to that is we haven't got any more complex in terms of SDLT rules. They don't have changed, to stay up until midnight to get <laughs> They haven't changed done. yet yeah. again. Yeah. Um, but can you just talk us through the current system and where the particular sort of complexities lie? I know we touched on it a bit earlier. Well, we can't talk you through the whole of the current system because it's too complicated. <laughs> it would take too long. But it is very complicated, and I think everyone would be grateful for some simplification. Mm. And I think um, a reduction in rates is going to help get the property market moving. Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of, well, both local, as in UK buyers and overseas buyers, as Helen says, the, the one of the big issues is just how complicated SDLT is now to work out. And it's almost... Having spoken to a few buyers um, overseas, often it's not the actual final cost of the tax that's the issue. It's that they haven't been able to try and work that out for themselves beforehand because it's so complicated and they Mm. can't work out which rate would apply Mm. to them. Um, So I definitely think simplification um, would would help the market in the Mm. first instance. But yes, definitely a reduction would be also um, beneficial. Yeah, I think... I think the um, tax receipts would increase. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been very educational for me. <laughs> um, and uh, if listeners would like to listen to any more of our More Than More podcasts, then they are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and of course, Apple Podcasts. And um, if you want to learn more about Forsters, you can head over to our website, forsters.co.uk, or follow us on all the usual social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Is there anything? Are there any others that I've missed? George, you probably know. Media that I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, thanks for joining me. And until next time, goodbye. Forster's More Than Law podcast is for general information only and should not be considered to be professional advice. Forster's LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on or reference to this podcast. Forster's LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The More Than Law podcast and all copyright in it is the property of Forster's LLP and it should not be used, reproduced or quoted, whether in whole or part, without Forster's LLP's prior written consent.